I work with a lot of small business owners and many of them are obsessed with their competition. They're constantly comparing themselves to what their competition is doing. They are afraid of their competition and they shouldn't be because competition gives you something you can't get anywhere else and that is a category. And what is a category other than an easy way to identify your product and talk about your product? This is the third installment in a five-episode arc where we're breaking down something I like to call the five pillars of marketing. It's a version of an exercise I do with new clients anytime I bring them on. So the five marketing pillars are identity, audience, competition, differentiation, and opportunities. In the first of these episodes, we identified uh, identity, right? We were literally just trying to figure out what your product is, what kind of experience you're offering. Then in the last episode, we talked all about your audience, tried to uh, figure out your target audience, your ideal customer avatar. Uh, we were trying to figure out who you're trying to serve uh, so that we could uh, find potential problems that needed solving in that audience that we're serving. Now, this episode is all about competition. I'm going to explain to you first why I think competition is important. Number two, what to do with your competition. And number three, uh, we're going to talk about what to do if you find you have no competition at all. Stick around. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who can see when shown, and those who will never see. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for everyone in the middle. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to chefs, restaurant owners, and marketing professionals out there working in the hospitality industry. So each week we sit down, I choose a different topic, we explore that topic, we pick it apart, we, we talk about um, uh, different ideas and, and themes and, and, and ways to tackle uh, a given topic. Uh, hopefully we come across some useful insights, uh, and then each week here on this podcast, we finish with an assignment. Um, I give you a short, actionable task, something you can do right away um, to start implementing some of the ideas and concepts that we talk about here on the show. Because, as I say every episode, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. So often, I think we listen to podcasts, we nod along, but we, we fail to put some of these concepts into action. This podcast, uh, I'm making a concerted effort um, to leave you with ways to start uh, making these things actionable. Um, if you like the podcast, I always ask you to go ahead and subscribe. It just makes sure that every week the uh, the podcast gets downloaded directly to your phone. If you feel so inclined, please leave a review. It just helps other people who, who might be looking for this kind of content figure out if this is what they're looking for. Uh, Five-star reviews just help us um, uh, boost our visibility, which means we can reach more people and eventually start to broaden this discussion. Um, I, I think the more that we talk about the industry, uh, the, the better off we all are. So, uh, as I was saying today, we're talking all about the third marketing pillar, which is competition. When we talk about competition, we're really just identifying other products or services, other companies that are also trying to serve our target audience. So 
In the last episode, you remember we talked all about the behavior of your target audience. Um, I asked you, where else do they spend their discretionary income? What are some of their hobbies, their interests? Where else do they go out to eat? For many reasons, which we will get to, it's a good thing to be able to know the answers to those questions. This falls under that heading of market research. Um, the, the more you know about your target audience, um, the better you're going to be able to serve them. And it all comes down to serving your audience. So, as I said at the top, competition is not a bad thing. In fact, without competition, you don't have a category. And being in a category is very helpful. It just means that people have a frame of reference. They, they at least have some vocabulary to use when talking about you, right? So, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but in the next episode, uh, we're going to then... Tr- pivot this conversation and we're going to talk all about differentiation, which is when we look at everyone in our category and we start finding ways to separate ourselves from the competition. So this is one way we help our customers talk about us. But we're going to leave that for now because today I just want to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to competition. First things first, though, before we go any further, I want to answer this one unique question, which is what do you do if you don't have any competition? Be worried. In fact, I'll bet if you're running a business right now that has no competitors, you probably are a bit worried, right? I mean, if you're successful and profitable, congrats, good for you, but you're going to spend the next several weeks or months or years looking over your shoulder because eventually someone's going to come racing up behind you, probably when you least expect it, because if you're making money, uh, competition's always going to move in to try to steal some of that business. It's just how markets work. That being said, though, if you don't have competition, I'll wager a bet that your your business is probably not where you want it to be. Uh, and I think that's usually due to one of three reasons. Uh, number one, uh, you're probably just being too narrow with your target, meaning you haven't accurately identified who your ICA is. So you're not properly assessing your your potential um, your potential audience and your potential competitors. So meaning there are other businesses out there that are probably doing it better than you are because they've identified the correct audience. Of all the three reasons, this is the best and easiest to solve because it just requires that you go back and do those first two exercises again and make sure you've been really uh, clear and specific about it, right? Um, you're just going to try to open it up a little bit um, and better understand your audience. Uh, number two, you might just be ahead of the market. So either you're solving a problem that people don't realize they have, or you're solving in in a new way uh, that people are uncomfortable with. uh, And as we all know, no one likes change. So it might just take uh, more communication or better communication or perhaps just time, right? If you can give it time, of course, because I know that's that's tough when we're in business, especially when we're talking about the restaurant industry, when we operate with such tight profit margins, but it might just take a little longer for the market to come around. Uh, and finally, number three, it might just be something as simple as you don't have a product that people want. This is, of course, the hardest, the worst of all three. Um, this goes back to the idea of properly identifying your audience, seeing their problems, and then solving their problems. So if no one wants your product, you're obviously not solving anyone's problem. Um, often, I think this is what happens when uh, when people open the restaurant they've always dreamed of opening. Um, it's just not a restaurant that anyone else dreams of dining at. One of the residual benefits of identifying competitors is that uh, in a way, I think it validates your business. And that's because someone else or many other people have also identified your market, um, your audience as an underserved market, and they've taken similar steps to start serving that market. So uh, let that be the pat on your back that keeps you going, the the boost of confidence that, that proves to you that you're on the right path. 
right? So as we move forward, um, let's agree that we probably all have competitors uh, and that if we do have competitors, it would probably benefit us to try to identify those competitors. This is uh, a broader topic known as market research. But when we look at our competitors, uh, I'm going to suggest we break them down into five different categories. Um, I want us to look at them based on location, uh, style, cuisine, price, and vibe. Right. So the first category, location, right, it, it, this is the, the natural one, right? We're going to look at other businesses that are in our area, in our general vicinity. So what does that mean? That might mean in your city, in your town, um, in your neighborhood, on your block, or maybe just on your stretch of street. Location is one key way uh, that we can start to identify businesses that are competing for the same dollars. We're going to look at also at style of dining or the level of dining. So we're going to broaden our scope uh, beyond just uh, geography. And we're going to look at other restaurants like ours when it comes to the dining style. So if we're opening a fine dining restaurant in New York City, right, maybe we're going to aim for three Michelin stars. Uh, the three Michelin star restaurants, there are like 120 of them in the world. So we're talking the very best 100 restaurants in the world. Um, if we're aiming for that, we're going to look at other restaurants like that. So in New York City, we're talking Per Se and Jean George, uh, Massa, Del Posto, La Bernadette. So notice they're all different kinds of cuisine, right? Massa is Japanese, Del Posto is Italian, La Bernadette is French seafood. Um, they're in all different neighborhoods, right? Some of them are in Midtown, Del Posto's way down in Chelsea, uh, Massa's in the Upper West Side. Um, so they're all different cuisines, all different locations, but they're at the same basic level. They're similar cost-wise, but we're going to get to price in a second, right? Because even within uh, the category of quote-unquote expensive restaurants, there's still a pretty wide swing. Uh, the next category, we're going to identify competitors based on cuisine. So if we're opening a pizza place, we're going to look at other pizza places. Sushi restaurant, we're going to look at other Japanese restaurants. We're going to look at Chinese, American, steakhouse, seafood, Mexican, and so on and so on. Cuisine is one way we can start to identify competitors. Uh, now, price, right? So I just mentioned price. We're going to come back to that now. This is another category worth looking at. It often goes hand in hand with the level of dining, right? Casual restaurants are all around the same level, but not exactly. Fine dining restaurants are all expensive, but there's a huge swing. For example, if we're going to use that same example, if we're looking to open um, a fine dining restaurant in New York City, there are a wide range of prices. For example, Jean George is in Midtown West. It's just off Columbus Circle, and their four-course menu costs about a $150 per person. Meanwhile, a meal just across the street at Massa starts at about $600. So this might be, price might be another uh, category worth considering when we identify our competitors. Finally, uh, this is something I call uh, the vibe of the place, right? So are there places out there with a similar vibe catering towards, um, you know, an audience looking for a similar feel? So um, if you're trying to court the post-work crowd, right, is there a loud, energetic, fun environment? What other places are catering to that? Um, or, or a pre-work breakfast place, right? Maybe it's just a quick uh, a QSR restaurant. So cheap, quick, delicious, you know, convenient, you know, what are the other places looking, for, you know, looking to capture those same dollars? What are the places that have the same kind of vibe? Um, is your restaurant hip and sceny trying to cater to a trendy crowd or is it quiet and business oriented looking to get the those business dinners? So those are the five areas. Again, it's location, style of dining, cuisine, price, and vibe. Uh, when we start identifying our competitors, it just helps to break them down into different categories. Um, 
um, so you can keep them all separate. There are a variety of ways you can do this. You know, certainly in your in your regular day to day, you're gonna you're gonna know some competitors. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna see competitors. You're gonna be aware of them just in your just in your regular um, in your regular day to day life. But I'm gonna urge you to 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 broaden out, right? Try walking around or driving around your area. Not just go down the same the same route you always take, uh, but but take a, take a different route from the subway to your restaurant uh, one night. Maybe go a few blocks uh, beyond your restaurant. Maybe cut back and forth through some of the side streets and just see if there's anything else. Um, see who your audience is, who, who's in that neighborhood. If you're in the suburbs, maybe try to figure out what's off the, uh, the next exit off the highway or, or two exits later, or, or go into some of the other major shopping centers, you know, within the 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, other ways to identify competitors is to utilize social media, right? You're going to see who else has great feeds, who else is in your area, who else is using hashtags of your city or, or your uh, or your neighborhood. Um, what other properties are on social media showing off themselves really well? Uh, I would urge you to use uh, search engines like Google and Bing. Your customers are certainly doing it. It would behoove you to do the same. Uh, so let's say your restaurant is called Burger Heaven, right? I want you to Google Burger Heaven and see what comes up. Well, let's say it's in, um, let's say it's in Chicago, in Wrigleyville, right? So put in Burger Heaven Chicago and see what pops up. Type in Burger Heaven Wrigleyville and see what pops up. Type in Best Burgers in Wrigleyville and see what you find. Are you listed here? You should be, or you should be finding ways to get yourself listed here. Um, but then you're going to see what else does pop up. You're going to see what sites, what restaurants, who is capturing the majority of the traffic. See what places pop up either alongside yours or above yours. Uh, you should also check out different online guides like Yelp and TripAdvisor um, or some of the more reputable print publications. I was talking about the Michelin Guide. That's a decent place to start. Um, if your city does the Zagat Guide, uh, that, that might be worthwhile. Um, or if there's another guide that your city uses, uh, check it out. Um, look at tourism magazines and see what places are being recommended. Um, go through the listings. See what else is in your category. Finally, and I can't urge, uh, I can't stress this one enough, ask around. Check in with friends and family and colleagues. Um, talk to the other parents at your kid's school. Figure out where they're going. This is how you're going to figure out uh, who some of your competition is. All of this is going uh, is going in towards the same thing. It's going to take some time to compile, um, but honestly, what when it does, uh, when you do pull it all together, um, I think it's totally worth it for your business. Now, here's the best part about identifying your competition. It is not about stealing business, right? At least it shouldn't be. There should be more than enough to go around. We're in a good economy. We live in uh, one of the greatest countries in the, uh, in the world. Variety is a good thing and choice is a good thing. We want people to know that they have many good viable options available to them. It just depends on what they want. So identifying your competitors just helps you figure out what category you're in, which is how we communicate to people about who we are and what we're serving. It helps us get clear about how and where to spend our marketing dollars. And yes, it does help you keep pace with your industry. You should know what your competitors are serving, not to steal their ideas, but just to get a sense of what's going on. You're going to go there and say, oh, that's cool. They do this, but we do that. You're different and you're going to start noticing that. At least you should, which of course, as I said before, is all part of the next lesson, which is differentiation. So then this week's assignment, 
I want you to go through and do this exercise for yourself, and I want you to be methodical about it. I promise, if you do this right, it shouldn't take more than about 20 or 30 minutes to compile the brunt of your list. Like, you're going to come up with 80% of the restaurants, like, almost right away. And then you're going to stew on it for another day or two and and maybe add another, you know, another 20% to your list. But first, I want you to go through and just identify your competitors based on the five areas we identified. So you're going to take a piece of paper, and you're going to write across the top. You're going to make five columns, and across the top, uh, left to right, you're going to write location, style, cuisine, price, and vibe. And then you're going to start on column number one, which is location. And below location, you're going to write every place you can think of that's in your vicinity. So that might mean your city, your town, your shopping center, your street, your neighborhood, whatever that means to you. Just write down a ton of places. Don't edit yourself. Just keep writing the names of restaurants. And remember, you're not looking at anything else, not looking at the kind of cuisine or the style or the price. You're just looking at location. So you're going to have a wide range of different style restaurants in this column. In the next column, style, you're going to write down all of the places that are your level of dining in your town or in your city. Everything, you know, everyone that's competing at that level. You know, so if you're a fine dining place and you're competing, you know, with other places that are special occasion places, fine, write them all down. Don't edit yourself. Same thing with cuisine and price and vibe. Then after you've done that, and again, give it a couple of days because other things are going to come to mind. You're going to talk to people. Um, The next step is to look over the list and give careful thought to who is specifically most similar to your restaurant. So this is probably going to be a restaurant that lands in multiple columns. And if you do this right, you should have like 10 or more restaurants in each column. On a second piece of paper, you're going to identify the restaurants that landed in multiple columns. So here you're probably going to come up with just five or 10 restaurants. I've said this in the past episodes, but if you want, we've put together a workbook that helps guide you through all five of these marketing pillars. This exercise is in it. You can certainly just go and do this on a couple of pieces of paper. Um, There's no problem with that, but it might be beneficial to have one complete document where everything is collected in one place. That's why we have the workbook. It's a place for you to work through each of these five pillars as we go through them. This is one of these exercises where I do think it's just helpful um, to download this, uh, this workbook. So, Just to refresh, this is the third in a five-episode arc where we're dissecting something I call the five marketing pillars. In the first episode, we talked about identity. The second episode, we talked about audience. So in that, we were figuring out what's the product and who's it for. Then in this episode, we're talking all about competition. So this is uh, trying to identify who else is serving your market. Next time, we're going to talk about differentiation, which is probably my favorite favorite of all five of these because this is where we start looking at how to pull it all together. Of course, the fifth marketing pillar, that is where we piece it all together and we make some sense of this. That's called opportunities. I hope you uh, I hope you're starting to see where we're going with all of this right if you feel a bit confused um, I ask you to stick with me and just come back because next episode is where we make our first big pivot differentiation is where we start figuring out how to separate ourselves from the competition this is how we identify what makes us remarkable and that is of course the key to the whole thing
Um, if you've been following along, uh, I always end each episode with something I call continuing education, which is where I share a book, a podcast, article, movie, whatever, um, something that I found particularly helpful or inspiring. This week, it's a link to uh, a recent episode of Scott McCain's podcast called Project Distinct. Uh, Scott's an author of several books, uh, but two in particular, uh, I think, are key to what we're discussing here, uh, and that's Create Distinction and then his newest release, which is called Iconic. His podcast is a is really just a series of bite-sized nuggets of wisdom. They're intentionally short. In fact, uh, this one that I'm going to recommend is just about eight minutes long, and he discusses um, the difference between being distinct and iconic. And I think it's particularly useful uh, material given what uh, what we're about to talk about, which is differentiation. So I hope you'll check it out. You're going to find the link in the show notes. Um, as always, I want to thank you for tuning in. My name is Chip Close. This is Restaurant Strategy. Restaurant Strategy.